Welcome to Your Teen with Sue and Steph. I'm Sue. And I'm Steph. And we are the co-founders and owners of Your Teen Media, the resource for parenting tweens and teens. And today, today is our very special Ask the Expert episode, where we get to ask and unpack all of our most urgent, most wrenching questions about parenting teens. Dr. Stephanie Newman is here to help us work through all of these challenging topics. And by the way, big announcement, she is going to be the Your Teen Expert. So if you have a question that you want to submit, we will put it in the show notes, how to reach out to us. And Dr. Stephanie Newman will be the expert on that and answer it. And now we are going to give you our own personal thoughts about the most commonly asked questions and how we navigated those scenarios with our own kids. So I'm going to tell you that one of the things that Stephanie talked to us about a lot was not taking things personally. And that was never my strength as a mother years ago. I've gotten better at it. And I remember one time when I asked my kid to do something and she said, no, she was too busy. She was a little older then. And I took it really personally. And I was with a friend when I got a call saying, oh, never mind. I'm available. Let's go do this. And I wrote back, sorry, made other plans. And my friend, my friend said to me, stop being a baby and go have dinner with your kid. And I was like, it was like a smack in the face. Like, wow, <laughs> that's a good one. <laughs> that is being a baby. I mean, she was so mean. She knew how much that meant to me. And even in telling you this now, the wine is so palpable. Like I took it as personally as one can take it. And Fortunately for this friend, having this friend who looked at me like, what is your problem? You're acting like a teenager. (laughs) I could step back and change my mind, tell my kid I was sorry for that reaction and go have a very lovely dinner with her. In fact, so much so that I don't think that kid even realized how much she hurt my feelings because that was never her intent. Anyway, so um, I guess, you know, our errors become your cautionary tales. So there's one. One of mine, I wrote curfews, setting curfews. I feel like we just sucked at it. I could never find good space with it because if they don't have a curfew, I'm laying awake at night. Like, okay, where are they? When they do and it's past curfew, then you're like, where are you? Like, what's going on? And I feel like it often turns into the, well, don't you trust me? No, it has nothing to do with whether I trust you or not. Like it has to do with, I'd like to have some sleep tonight. I don't know how other families handle it. I mean, I think some families are just, this is the family rule and you stick by it and they have a consequence when they miss curfew. I would venture to say that people on our team have parented that way just from conversations. No, that is what we did, but it never seemed, I just... So I grew up in a house with no curfew and I never really understood the point of a curfew. So we never had a curfew. That's not to say that I didn't sometimes say, I'm super tired. And when you come in late, the dog starts barking. I am woken up at that particular moment where I will never fall back asleep. I'm just begging you. I'm begging you for everyone's wellness that I get a good night's sleep tonight and you come home at a reasonable hour. So I just implored them for, for their benefit too, because I was horrible the next day if I didn't get enough sleep. So, um, but we did not have a curfew because I never really understood what I would do if they broke it. Like, I, I, you know, then it becomes, is it a minute late? Is it five minutes late? Like, So yeah, we didn't do that. Okay, so this is a a big one in my house because every time I bump into this woman, she can't look me in the eye or even respond to my hello. So one of my kids 
for like a good few weeks was coming home every day from school, telling me a story about someone else and how annoying that person was trash talking them and just really being super annoying. And then I get a call from said kid's mother saying that my kid is bullying her kid. And this is an example of why those things don't go well, because I'm sitting on a whole other version of this story from my kid's perspective. And they have called up demanding that I solve this problem. And I'm not saying like hinting at it, but like you will call me back and tell me what you're doing here to solve this problem. And um, it didn't go well. It didn't go well in that conversation because I was like, I will talk to my kid, but I'm not going to report to you. And then I just said to my kid, because this is how I feel about these social conflicts, like make it go away. You know how to make it go away. There's no reason for this. No requirement that you be friends, but make it go away. And that was the last I heard of it. I don't know how that family felt about it other than they still can't look me in the eye. So I'm guessing they were not happy with the resolution of it. This is why it's hard to call call other families because there's two sides to that story. And Steph, I don't know if you have any scenario like that where you could relate. I (laughs) I think that I have created this atmosphere of like openness and talking about stuff. And then when I go to ask like one of the kids a question, I get this like, oh, I'm not really comfortable talking about that. Or like, like, I think I have like this whole picture in my head of open dialogue, communication. We talk about everything. And then I feel like they have a whole different story. But maybe, maybe you did have, maybe you have both. Like maybe you had a story and they grew up and they created boundaries that are healthy and normal for growing up that aren't the same as they were when they were younger in your house. I have to think that one through. Interesting. (laughs) But I don't know. I'm just putting that out there because I don't think what you're saying is so weird that your kid says, I don't want to talk to you about that. Yeah, right. Because they become their own people. Like, you know, with a married kid, there's lots of things that don't get brought my way because they they funnel through a spouse now. Yeah, it's so weird. It's not weird, it's normal. (laughs) Yeah, it's normal. It's weird to be in this seat, but it's not weird at all. Yes, yes. But I think, I like what you brought up because our perception of what our family is. So my kids, they talk about how they're not emotional. And then someone will say, really, you're not emotional? I say, well, we grew up in a house that wasn't very emotional. Now, I can't even figure out where that could come from. First of all, they have a father who cries at the drop of a hat. Like all you need is a commercial with a father and a daughter and he's crying, like literally crying. It wasn't at in everything. your house and I know it's true. All of this. Yeah. Right, right. And then I, there's not a person that comes in the house that I don't hug. So I was like, <laughs> I am so confused by this conversation, but they really believe it. They've talked about it with each other. They believe that they grew up in a house that was not like very open with emotions. <laughs> so you know, it's one of these things like they walk away with a different sense than we have. So we shared with you the things that probably we needed answers from Dr. Newman, but we chose to work through it on our own. We hope you found some humor in that. But now we're actually going to get them to the meat of the questions that we get from our audience all the time. So up next is our conversation with Dr. Stephanie Newman. We can't wait for you to join us. Hey there. I'm Hannah. And I'm Audrey. 
We are a sister filmmaking duo and co-hosts of Sleepover Cinema, our show where we analyze the films that created the collective unconscious of the girls, gays, and theys of the late 90s and early 2000s. Princess Diaries, The Cheetah Girls, Aquamarine, Cinderella, the one starring Brandy. We haven't stopped thinking about these movies since we first saw them, and we want you to rewatch them and review them with us. Are these movies as bad as critics would have us believe? Do we even care if they are? We are always unpacking that very question on Sleepover Cinema. Check out Sleepover Cinema wherever you get your podcasts or at evergreenpodcasts.com. See you soon. Do you ever feel like your mind doesn't have an off switch? Or that tension is constantly traveling through your body? Or do you feel tired no matter how much you sleep? That's just a few of the many ways stress, anxiety, and sleeplessness can harm your mind and body. So this year, why not make small changes to your daily routine that can have a big influence on your mental health and well-being? Start your year with Headspace. Headspace is scientifically proven to help you manage your feelings and your mental health. In fact, a recent study proved that in just two weeks, two weeks, Headspace can reduce your stress by 14%. Whether you want to relieve stress and anxiety, sleep better, or improve your focus, Headspace is your everyday dose of mindfulness for real life. And I know for sure that I need to reduce my stress. My stress is a running reel in my brain that doesn't stop about things I'm anxious about, about things I'm not anxious about, about stupid things that I don't know why I'm thinking about them. And when I sit down and turn on Headspace, I do get this feeling of a clear brain, a brain that is calmer. I feel less anxious. However you're feeling, try Headspace at headspace.com slash your teen and get one month free of their entire mindfulness library. This is the best Headspace offer available. So go to headspace.com slash your teen today. Headspace.com slash your teen. Dr. Stephanie Newman is a psychoanalyst and psychologist in private practice, a nonfiction author, a novelist, and a public speaker. She has practiced in New York City for more than 25 years, treating adults and adolescents struggling with anxiety, depression, and workplace concerns. She also works with families on issues relating to parenting and divorce. Dr. Stephanie Newman, thank you so much for being here with us. We're going to use you today as our Ask the Expert, which, in fact, you are officially the Your Teen Ask the Expert, just to throw out some of the most common questions we get from parents of adolescents. And I think this one is the most common, and it's also probably the hardest. Well, we're going to say that about so many. So we get this from parents a lot, mostly moms about daughters. I feel like my daughter hates me. Or... At the very least, she does not like me. And the problem is I'm so hurt by that. So I don't know how to handle this at all. 
It's a good question. And we've all been there. I've been there within the past few days. I mean, it's very common. It does happen a lot with daughters. You know, there's a whole psychological complicated thing about it. it's hard enough to separate because separation is the issue, right? In adolescence, often it's hard enough to separate, but when you have to separate, but also at the same time, identify because you're both female, it's traditionally, this has been the way it's been looked at. It's just so much more complicated to be, try to be like someone unconsciously maybe, and then at the same time be separating. So that big psychological thing aside, I'm going to get more practical and not use jargon and just... I see it happen with my husband and our sons. So it is very gender specific in a non-gender world. I already feel validated, I have to tell you, because I'm struggling so much with this. Oh, it's it hurts so much. All right. So let me start with it's about separation and it's not personal. Adolescents need to separate. It doesn't mean they don't love you. That's the thing to hold on to. You you miss that adoring smile and happy face when you walked in the room. Now it's like, does someone even look up? Oh, your hairline. That's all I've seen the straight part. Like that, you know, nobody looks up from their phone when you get in the door or or they roll their eyes or make sounds. It is not just hold on to the fact that it's not personal. And sometimes it helps to put yourself in the shoes of the teen and um, and remember back when you were separated from your parents or caregivers, you didn't want to be in the room. Your mother maybe was like nails on the chalkboard, you know, oh, she, she, every single thing. If they breathed, it was annoying. So I would say that in order to, I would tell the kid, so I'm telling you what I would tell your kid, that sometimes in order to separate, you have to tolerate a little aggression. People don't like it. But as a parent, it feels like there's this earth shattering thing happening. First of all, they come back. And second of all, as the parent, if you know it's not personal and you give them space, that will work to your benefit. They do come back. Think about this. If someone tells you, you can't do this or absolutely not, it may seem more attractive. So um, if you give them room, they may find that they, you know, they have some redeeming qualities. <laughs> or not. Let's <laughs> <laughs> just go for one. It, can the redeeming quality be a credit card? Often it is. Yeah. But really it's not personal as much as it, by the way, I wouldn't minimize what a loss it is when you have your adorable sidekick and you don't have a kid to be your best friend. I'm not talking about narcissism and and the kid isn't a real person to you. I'm talking about all of us who just enjoy the bond with a child. It's, It's truly beautiful. And then you feel like, wow, we were so close and now this person doesn't want to talk to me. And it feels like it's just all or nothing and it will never go back. And that's what I'm saying to think about. This is not a permanent state and it's not personal. They need to separate. They need a little space. If you have boundaries and give adolescents who are separating space and you don't argue with them about it, it will be smoother and they will be more likely to seek you out in some way. I love the, that it's not all or nothing. I love that. Thank you. I can get off now. No, <laughs> I'll stay on. So how about as far as just getting our teens to talk to us, how do we do that? Yeah. And it's the same kind of thing in the sense of less is more. Don't crowd them. Do not ask direct questions. It's so funny. If you begin what feels like a cross-examination to a teen, which is basically anything that requires an actual you know, where a specific question with a specific answer. I try to be really gentle, real gentle touch and ask things. It's never when I want to. 
my eyes are closing. I, you know, I'm, I've been asleep for an hour. That's when someone wants to tell me something. Let, you know, they come to you when it's good for them. I, a newish thing is that often they want to talk in text. I view text as, oh gosh, this can be forwarded. But they have personal conversations. And so you might get something in a text that's their way of sharing with you or connecting with you. So I let them, my, you know, I let the teenagers pick the mode and I let them pick the time and initiate. And I do feel that if they feel like you're asking too many questions or they feel intruded upon, they will shut down. You don't feel that way. It's true. We all have evidence of it. It's not even, we don't, we don't need research because we've all experienced (laughs) it. Okay. This, this question Like for so long, I knew it was coming when someone would talk to me who had younger kids and they would, they would stop me and they'd say like, do you mind if I ask you a parenting question? And I didn't need it anymore. I knew my kid didn't get invited to the party and it's so I'm cringing. Yeah. And it's totally middle school. It's that middle school time where we still think we control their social life. And this whole other world is happening without us. And now maybe even without our kid. And so the question was twofold. I'm pretty sure it was a mistake. That's the first one. And the second one is, do you think I should call the mom? Hope springs eternal. It's not a mistake, probably. (laughs) Okay. So Um, tell us, I don't, we don't need an answer about how should she call the mom? Let's just put it out there. Probably not a great idea, but what, how does the mom deal with her emotions in the way that best helps her child? Well, it's important to remember that, believe it or not, it's not happening to you. And I will say that I have noticed in myself, there's no greater pain than watching your kids suffer. And I mean, if they're really suffering, you don't have a good day. You know, you don't, you don't go watch, you know, go, go watch theater when your kid's home crying and forget about it. So, or whatever, even if you have a good career achievement, if your kid isn't having a good time and things are not going well for them. It's, you're not happy, carefree and light. So you have to remember that it's separate. I use the word separate again, every question, the theme of adolescence really is the separation. You know, one of the themes, they're finding a different identity. So it's not happening to you. And it is not a good idea to talk to the mother. The boundary should be in place. You should encourage your kid to talk to the other kid. If your kid is five and doesn't get an invitation, but this isn't the scenario, you can call the mother. But if your child is a, you know, uh, an 11 year old, a middle schooler, you want to empower them to solve their problems. You want to show that you, you empathize this, this is hard. It's happened to me. It doesn't feel good not to be invited. What do you think you should do? I think you should call that mom. I know, but I want you to think about some other ways to do it. I do think it might be better if it comes from you. And I know it hurts and I want to help you. And by the way, it's not a reflection on you. If people, I would always say, if people need to exclude you, it says more about them than about you. Because people think they're less than if they're excluded. So you could help your kid in that regard by saying, it doesn't mean this is a reflection on you. If that person needs to leave out one or five kids from the party, then you empower them. The way, you know, self-esteem builds is through successes. So maybe they figure out, I'll find these six people and have my own party. Or maybe I'll talk to the kid and say, okay, you didn't invite me. What's going on? I thought we were friends. Those things are very awkward, those conversations, but some kids want to have them and do. Of course, you could be prepared for a rejection or a lie. I don't, uh, uh, you know, when you ask that question, 
But the mother should remember, which is what you asked. The mother should remember that it's not happening to her. It just feels like it is. And she should try to remain calm so she can be helpful. Yeah. And the, uh, the part of that that I think is so fantastic is when you gave the script of saying to your kid, how would you like to handle this? Because I think, you know, we're so quick to kind of help them fix it, but put it back on them. It, that is empowering. And we don't look at it that way. We look at it as a, it's a problem. It needs to be solved. I can do it best, but we want to give our kids that sense that they have the power to resolve conflict in their own life. So I love that. And we have perspective and we have context. Some things really feel like a catastrophe to a kid. You know, this one party and it hurts. I'm not minimizing that. But we know that by the next fall, there's different kids in the class or you the next week, even kids feel like a month is the end of the world. But, you know, we know that this isn't going to be like this forever. And it's not as much of a catastrophe. So don't get pulled into the, oh, you know, when they are feeling that this is a major thing and the world is ending, don't get pulled into that. All right. Let's talk about uh, bullying. So yes. my daughter's being bullied. In two minutes or less. In two minutes, exactly. <laughs> so she used to tell me everything at school that happened. Now she's not, she's not telling me anything. And I suspect that the bullying is still going on. This is a question you get, right? You're not saying this. No, no. I was going to say Look, it. Yeah, okay. this is the question. So now what do I do? The first thing with anything um, that seems like your child has a problem, uh, that's, that they, that's a serious problem, is to make sure that they're okay, that they're sleeping and eating and, and not having a major change in their functioning. So if your kid is up all night or on their cell phone all night or not eating, has stopped eating, or their appearance changes drastically like they used to, uh, you know, I don't really know. So one, one extreme wear only sporty clothes and then all of a sudden they're wearing eyeliner and change their hair color, you know, major change in appearance or major change in friend group or no friends. Those are times to say, wow, something's going on. I'm concerned. And you get maybe get professional help. If you think your kid is being bullied and they don't want to talk to you, this is a nice question because it's sort of a combination of all the other questions you just asked me. It's like, how do you help them get through a hard thing? How do you get them to talk? How do you respect their autonomy since they don't want to talk? So I would approach it gently in a way like, um, you've been so quiet. What's up? Nothing. I don't want to talk to you. Well, sometimes it helps to talk. Yeah, I, I don't really want to talk about this. I don't see, you know, used to play with Brooke all the time. I don't see Brooke around much. Occasionally, if you drop a little tidbit, a, a breadcrumb, they might go for it. Really, the best thing to do is to not, again, unless you've seen some major th- indicator and I don't know if Steph was serious about the two minutes because I've exceeded that. But unless you unless unless you see a major indicator, um, you can give your kid a little rope and help you know help them. I do think it's a powerful message to say. I haven't seen you playing with these people anymore recently, or hanging out with these people anymore. Do you feel like you know your friends are changing, or they've excluded you? If you get any sense that you're right, you might say, "I just want you to know what I said before." If people don't invite you to things or don't ask you to parties or whatever, you please don't take it as a reflection on you. It says something about them if they have to kick someone out of a group or exclude. I just want you to know that. I think that your kids need to know that you love them. You think they're great. You're proud of them and you respect their judgment and their autonomy. And I can help too. If you need, do you need me? Do you want to talk? Do you want to whatever? I would encourage them also if they really stopped being friends with the same people 
maybe join a team in the next town, take an art class somewhere, try to meet different people, you know, expose them to some different groups of people too. But I have a question that wasn't on our list, but wouldn't that kid, that kid knows if Brooke's not there anymore or who's hanging out. Like, does that feel supportive or does they know that? Is that just giving the message like, I've noticed it too. Does that feel supportive to a 13-year-old? I believe, of course, everything is, there's individual differences. Some people would like something that others won't, but often people feel good that they're seen. I don't think they want you breathing down their neck. I, you know, I I wouldn't say, I, I read through all your texts when you were sleeping and I see Brooke blew you off. I wouldn't do that, but more like, I know that you hung out with her for years you know, do you want to say what happened? No. Okay. Well, just, just remember this. You've been kind of quiet. You're not hanging out with her. And um, she used to be your best friend. If you want to talk about it, we can. If you, and I, and I, I have some ideas, maybe you want to take up this or tr- try this class or do this thing, meet some different people. If, they, if there seems to be a lot of downtime with no friends or no social stuff. But also, I think saying it's not about you when somebody else acts like this. The thing about whether it's psychotherapy or raising kids, you don't just say things once and, and check that one off. I mean, sometimes you can work with someone on the same issue in therapy for like weeks and weeks and weeks, and then they come back and it, you think they, they think there's an insight, you know, and you and then and then they come back, it's like they didn't remember or have the sessions. People work through things and they go right back to square one. Sometimes it's very common. That's how our we work. We can block things out. So your kid may need to hear the same things over and over and over again. It's normal. Our kid seems lazy. Nothing gets done on time, not schoolwork, not chores at home. And as the mom, I just keep alternating between nagging and yelling. Give me a better way. Well, don't think of your kid as lazy. Any kind of mixed feelings, whether it's your kid or you, you can try to look at what they have the mixed feelings about. Talk with them. You seem to not want to study. What's up with that? You don't like school. What's up with that? Put the kid, we say, in touch with, if the kid's name is Jane, put your put your daughter in touch with the future Jane. Like, what do you think will happen if you never do any work? Or what do you want to see happen? Sometimes adolescents are not connected to the future versions of themselves, and this helps them. But if they're ambivalent, they have to come to it. You can't force them and call them lazy. Next one, dinner. I can't please everybody. I'm losing my mind and I'm worried that they're just going to eat a bunch of junk instead. How do I get them to eat what I make? Is it fair to let them make their own thing? Help me out. Well, the first thing is if it's once in a while, no one ever died from eating junk. I ate more junk last night than probably many people ate all week. So they can occasionally eat something like breakfast for dinner or something, you know, sugar cereal. But to answer this question, why don't you involve them in the menu planning, in the prep? A little kid can take the end off the string beans after they're washed or peel potatoes, an older kid. If they think tacos are great or there was somebody who somebody any the best thing was nachos, you know. So if that is a way that people will eat, you know, something healthy, let them have it presented in a way that's palatable and exciting. It's taco Tuesday. So you get to use the same healthy meat and the same, you know, and some vegetables and some whatever, but they just think it's more fun because you put a red sauce on it and they have a tortilla or whatever those are called. All of it is a similar conversation, a theme running through that seems so helpful. So uh, this one is such a rough one. I found out my kid is vaping. I found a vape pen and I just have no idea where to even start. Well, first of all, keep your cool. No conversation goes well if you are flipping out and you can get more information also. 
the more forbidden the vaping is, they may be more attracted to it. So you want to play this the right way. You want to say, tell me about like, do you, you do it all the time? Do you try not to judge even though you are judging and it's upsetting and scary and try to find out how often it's going on. If the kid tried once, I wouldn't rush to major consequence, you know, like I'm taking away all your electronics, you know, after the first time. I would say, um, go over some house rules and I would explain the consequences of vaping. Kids have an incredible need to fit in. If all their friends are vaping, you may want to try to talk with them. You may encourage them to do different activities. You know, sometimes kids who are big on sports may not vape because then they can't perform. Older kids sometimes choose that not to, but it's a tough one. Just keep cool. In two minutes, it's hard to, to answer, but keep cool and get more information and uh, try to offer positive examples of what they might be able to do if they don't choose to vape or how there are other kids who aren't vaping, you know, and tr- you know, maybe gentle, gentle nudge. There's other kids you can hang out with. Some schools don't allow it. You can get kicked out of school. You can tell your kid that too. If insert, I know people that have had to leave a certain school because they were caught. That's putting your kid in touch with the future, whoever. All right. That's good. How do I tell if my teen is depressed or just the usual teenage moody? They look really similar. Kids definitely are moody and teenagers and hormonal changes and shifts. So it's hard to know, but really it's very important, especially during a pandemic um, when kids weren't in school or, or they're in masks, they're not in masks, things are canceled. It's really important, like I said before, look for not eating, not sleeping, huge changes and things like that. Friend group changes or no friends. Um, this is repetitive, but these really are the signs of whether your teen is in trouble. And um, a huge change in appearance. If somebody's sleeping 14 hours a day, uh, 16 hours a day, and they used to be up at nine and they're sleeping until you know four in the afternoon and they never come out of their room and then you force them out of their room and they you know, look completely different and have different friends, you, you may want to try to find out what's going on. You may need professional intervention too. So what do I do when I catch my teen in a lie? Some people are big believers in you have to give a consequence now. Some people are believers in why don't you say, here's how we do it in our house. If you do this again, this is what's going to happen. Sometimes teens feel like they're brought in on things and they're, and you're respecting their autonomy. It depends on how big the lie is. I mean, if they took the car and they crashed it at two in the morning and they're pretending they didn't, that's a very big lie. I don't know. Versus they took $5 out of your wallet. That's a pretty big one too. Versus they say they turned in their homework and they didn't. So I like to give a warning if I find, you know, they, you say they say they're at some friend's house, but they're really with a boy or a girl or a date. If I find out you do that again, this will happen. I want to trust you. I think if teens know you trust them, they do rise to the challenge. They do feel good. The kids who have those very harsh disciplinarian parents who aren't allowed any rope will often rebel more. Question we ask all of our guests. What is the biggest myth about raising teenagers? Well, if you think that you are going to have any sense of how world or events or life will unfold any predictability no way you know you think you drop your kid off at a college or a you know a boarding school or something and you're not going to hear from them 5 minutes later they've you know they've injured they've broken a bone or they got you know the flu you know you hear from them you go back the next day or the best is always when you, 
I always found it to be hilarious that somebody was so emphatic in an opinion. And then the next week, it's like they never said that. And they are, are furious if you remind them that, you know, but you said this was your favorite song. I, you know, that's why, I, you know, that's why I thought we could go hear that band. I don't like them. They're terrible. And you're thinking, I'm sorry, I was there. You said you loved such and such. I, I always find that to be funny, how they, their opinions change. It's very, very fast. It's very, very, you know, they're just, it's just, you can't predict what's going down. Stephanie Newman, our new expert for Ask the Expert. We're so happy to have you on today. I hope everyone listening realizes what a gem you are and how under pressure, we made you do it very quickly. You gave rock solid advice that will change the way people parent. Thanks so much for being here with us. Thank you for having me. Thanks for joining us for the Your Teen Podcast. If you have any topics that you want us to talk about, let us know on our Facebook page or email editor at yourteenmag.com. If you're someone who reads an article and thinks of that one friend who has to read it too, think of our podcast the same way. Please share with that friend who's going to say, oh my God, I can't believe I didn't know about Your Teen with Sue and Steph. And do us a favor and review and rate the show on the podcast platform of your choice. You can find more from us at yourteenmag.com, at evergreenpodcast.com, or anywhere you listen to podcasts. Your Team with Sue and Steph is a production of Evergreen Podcasts. Special thanks to executive producer Michael D'Aloya, plus producer Hannah Leach, and audio engineer Eric Coltnow. We'll see you next time. Coming up on 5-Minute News, I'm Anthony Davis. You might think it's partisan because maybe it's critical of one side or the other, but it's not, it's just the truth. And I think that's also something that's kind of unusual for Americans listening to the radio or to podcasts because the news landscape in the States has been so partisan for so many decades. So 5-Minute News is verified, truthful, independent, unbiased, and essential world news daily.